Welcome to Soulful Insights, conversations exploring the synergy of psychology, emotion and spirit. I'm Ruth Caterellis, psychologist, writer and performer. And I'm Rebecca Harris, author, psychotherapist and educational consultant. These conversations are based on our studies, observations and personal experiences. Take what resonates, leave the rest. Welcome to Soulful Insights, conversations exploring the synergy of psychology, emotion and spirit. I'm Ruth Caterellis, psychologist, writer and performer. And I'm Rebecca Harris, author, psychotherapist and educational consultant. These conversations are based on our studies, observations and personal experiences. Take what resonates, leave the rest. Welcome to the first episode of Soulful Insights. The synergy of psychology, emotion and spirit. We'd like to acknowledge the original custodians of the land on which we're recording today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay respects to elders past and present. We'd also like to acknowledge the fact that this land has never been ceded. So, Beck, here we are, here episode we are. number one. <laughs> Where to start? Maybe let's start with who we are and why. We're here. Good point. So, who are we? Do you want to start, Beck? Who are you, <laughs> Rebecca Harris? Um, well, I am s- someone who has worked in education for a long time, specifically in student wellbeing, with uh, a focus on trauma informed work in schools. So, I've spent a lot of my uh, work time and my uh, energy supporting children. I'm also a psychotherapist, um, more recently qualified in that area that has um, supported my work with children as well, but I've also worked with adults. And um, I'm also an author and I've written a book specifically around trauma-informed practices and student wellbeing and how we can bring those things together in schools. The question that I asked you is a big one, isn't it? Who Mm -hmm. are you? I want to ask you a a more specific question. So you've talked about the fact that you have recently um, finished some studies on psychotherapy. What were the strongest motivating factors that made you want to become a psychotherapist? Well, it's been actually interesting to think it's been something that I've wanted to do for a long, long time, like literally since I was a child. But um, children don't always make very good counsellors, although sometimes (laughs) perhaps they do. Uh, But just something I guess that's been in the back of my mind and been part of work that I've done over the years and um, volunteer telephone counselling and that kind of thing over the years Uh, and I've really gotten a huge amount out of my own experience with therapy. It's been life-changing and supported me to form who I am and explore who I am. So it's been really important to me in my life, my experience of being a client 
And then I guess the timing was just right. I studied developmental trauma a number of years ago, which really, you know, is so helpful understanding childhood and uh, neuroscience and experiences and what leads us to be who we are now and helps us to understand the relationships that we have. And when the timing just felt right, I was able to to jump into some more study and do some really interesting placements. And um, yeah, I'm grateful that I'm doing it at this point in my life. And of course, you've also just published your first book, which I think is pretty phenomenal in terms of all the study and all the other work that you've been doing along this, you know, last three or four years. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, when you're like, you know, so study and research, which is very cerebral, but it's all about care and support and uh, parts of life that really are about connection and feeling and yeah, it's it's a funny mismatch actually to be researching care. Mm. I think it's interesting though, isn't it? Because you've been doing all those things at the same time as you've been working. So you've got concrete, you know, if you're just studying something initially, it's all theory, you know, really. Um, but you've been doing all these things concurrently. So all of these kind of different parts of you have been you know, it's a way to kind of really condense in that experiential knowledge, it seems to me, especially when you may be working with kids at the same time as you're writing all of this. Yeah. Well, it makes for a kind of, I mean, holistic approach to everything. And I feel like often in, often in life you get to the theory later and it makes you realise why those things that you did instinctively worked Mm. And I feel like that's often been how things operate for me. And you, I get more out of the theory as well and, and a different depth. But, but also as a human being, you know, I move through the world using my instinct and going where I'm called and using connection with others as a motivator, whether that's young people or colleagues or families and uh, studying psychotherapy when you have a background in your own therapeutic work is also really uh, solidifying, isn't it, you know? Yeah, and I really appreciate that about the the study that I did, the course that I did in counselling and psychotherapy. It was a prerequisite. (laughs) It was really essential that people had experienced their own therapy and had done some of the work, the work doesn't end ever, but who had, who were on that journey. And I'm interested to know if that's the same in psychology that you studied. No, I don't think it is. I don't think there was much uh, discussion really. I came to psychology late. Um, It wasn't my first degree and it was in lots of ways by default, I would say, in that I didn't plan to be a psychologist. I was going through a particularly difficult time in my life and I literally needed a reason to get out of bed in the morning. So I'd been a teacher and I'd been performing, but I wasn't in a place to be able to really, I mean, I'd given up the teaching, you know, I'd fallen into that really by default because, you know, finished school and found myself at um, at Rusden studying drama and dance and English and had just kept going and taught for about two years and realised it wasn't for me. 
And so I'd got much more into the performing. But during this period, I wasn't able to front up at auditions. I wasn't in a place to be able to go on stage. So I kind of went, I literally do need a reason to get out of bed. What is something that I have an interest in and that will give me a focus? And psychology just kind of leapt out at me because as, a, as an actor, the relationship between human beings and their emotions has always intrigued me. But also my own journey therapeutically, which started in my late teens, all of those things, I guess, fed into the decision to to study psychology. I hadn't planned on being a psychologist. I just kind of kept going, really. Next thing I knew, I was doing my master's. But no, not, not, not a huge amount of conversation about whether we had done our own therapy maybe some in tutorials, but it wasn't, certainly wasn't a prerequisite. And, you know, the course was much more, you know, psychology at that point was very much, and this is over 20 years ago, was very much trying to stand up as a science and in some ways to justify that, which always struck me as strange because when you're talking about human thoughts, emotions and behaviours, I find the notion of them to be scientifically quantifiable, tricky, and on some levels they are, however. (laughs) Yes, on some levels quantifiable, however, there's always things that are not. Yeah, interesting, we obviously have a lot in common in our pathways and, um, but yeah, so def- certainly in terms of study, the psychology versus psychotherapy is quite different and yet we've, we, we have a lot in common in our approaches too. I had a conversation with one of the people that I supervised a few months ago who said, mm, you're not really like a lot of the other psychologists I know. And I think I do uh, see the profession less clinically, if you like. The move over the last... I think particularly, you know, 10, 12 years has been much more into clinical psych, which wasn't something that was offered where I studied. It was very much counselling and it was much more looking at the emotions. But now we've, you know, the, the profession itself has gone much more into pathologising, which is not really where I sit. I'm not a huge fan of that medical model. Sometimes it has its place, absolutely, but I think we over-pathologise people's responses to things. I think we over-medicate, so I probably sit outside the traditional arm, if you like, of psychology. Mind you, I'm sure I'm not alone. You know, there are other psychologists who also have studied in that tradition but who also would kind of, you know, set back a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And see things a bit differently, yeah. Yeah, I guess coming from that perspective that's a bit less medical and more really a curiosity and a belief and understanding about what it is to be a human being moving through the world that we live in and all the complexities that come with that. You know, it's a slightly different approach to that clinical psych approach. Yeah, and I think the curiosity is an important one because I think, you know, sometimes within psychology currently and psychiatry is much more focused on defining and naming what is going wrong as opposed to approaching with, with curiosity what's working, what's not working, why not, let's have a look at it, let's explore it a little bit 
rather than going, okay, you've got this symptom, this symptom, this symptom, you've clearly got this thing. And for some people that works, the naming can be really helpful, but I know for me it wouldn't have been. My first experience was with a psychologist, which might also be why I explored that because she, I would say, pretty clearly saved my life in terms of where I was at. And it was talking. We talked. It was listening. It was developing a relationship. It was a rapport. I was in a particularly messy place. And if I'd found myself in the wrong place, wrong in kind of quotation marks, I was definitely diagnosable, if you like, but that's not what I needed. I needed that exploration. I needed that openness. I needed that non-judgmental. I needed that uh, curiosity again, to go, all right, this is your experience. Where are you at? What's happening? What's working for you? As opposed to go, all right, well, you've got this, this and this. Mm. Um, Yeah, I feel like I've probably had similar positive experiences with that, um, with an approach that worked for me. And for me, it was really important to not leave the body and the spirit out of the talk therapy, which wasn't always just talking, but to gain an understanding that my body was giving me clues or that trauma is held in the body and that uh, somatics are really important when it comes to therapy and processing our emotions and the things that have happened to us. Yeah, really, really the most helpful thing, I think. See, I think I came to that understanding later. I think for me, it was emotional overload and my emotions were definitely determining some behaviours that I was engaged in that were destructive, uh, incredibly self-destructive, but I probably didn't really, and spirit wasn't really a, a component for me then either because I didn't have a sense really of spirit. That developed later. Really what it was for me is I'm a mess I don't have any answers. I have no clue. I need somebody to help me find my way was the crux of it for me. And this woman that I found did. So I guess when later on I was looking for something to do, it's not in some ways so surprising that psychology was what drew me. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that match of client and therapist is so important, isn't it? And such a funny business. Like how do you, what do you look someone up? You Maybe you see a photo of them on Psychology Today or you like their name or they live near, is it they work near you. It's an interesting business to find that, but it is actually so important to find the person who works for you. I think it's, yeah, really important. I mean, I had two attempts prior to this person who in some ways actually just added to my distress and that can happen. Yeah. And what it says too is there isn't just an answer. It's not like all the people um, with the qualifications have got the same answer that they're going to give you. That's not how therapy works and it's bringing that back to what we're, we're trying to do here too. It's not about giving answers or you know, having a single solution. It's, um, you know, so much more interrelational than that. And exploratory. And I think that is important, which is possibly, you know, why I was talking about the, the notion of when you get a diagnosis, it's an answer, it's concrete. And sometimes that is helpful for people, but sometimes that can also be really limiting. Mm. And for me, concretizing, is that a word? I don't know. (laughs) Um, 
doesn't or wouldn't have helped me at that time. But being able to just free flow, because sometimes, you know, with a, with, a, with a diagnosis, there's also a judgment. And not even that society judges, but sometimes we do. Whereas if you're just kind of going, this is where I'm at. And I mean, I was judging myself in those days very harshly because of, you know, the way I was raised. But that exploration towards understanding allows you maybe the space to stop that. But also sometimes a diagnosis can set up a boundary and go, well, that's the line. I can't cross that. And I resist that idea of I can't cross any boundary. Mm. That's something that doesn't feel comfortable for me as a human being. I reckon this is, you know, we were talking about the tagline, which is the synergy of psychology, emotion and spirit. And what does that mean? So, you know, it's something I came up with, obviously. Well, not obvious necessarily to our listeners, but do you have a response to that when you hear that, Beck? I do because I think spirit and emotion connects with everything for me, like it moves through all areas of life. And that's, for me, part of being a human. Uh, and I think, as we've just been discussing, you know, often psychology sort of separates humans in a way and, um, you know, trying to understand or have an answer uh, is quite different, I think, to exploring, bringing curiosity and questions and as a therapist walking alongside someone for a part of their journey. And so when I hear those words together, that's what I think about. I think about the kind of psychology that we've just been talking about that sees a whole person and that, yeah, absolutely, if a label's helpful, great. But it's not necessary and it's not an it's not the end point that there's flexibility and fluidity and um, taking the whole of a client and the therapist, for that matter, into account and the whole self, bringing the whole self into that therapy space. Mm. But yeah, so Ruth, you chose those three words. What what were you thinking when you came up with that? I think, you know, not dissimilarly to what you were just saying, I think the, you know, psychology for me is the understanding really of the psyche, but it has, its focus has often been much more on the cognitions and the behaviours, the resulting behaviours, as opposed to the emotional content, because, you know, hey, emotions are bad, aren't they? Um, They're problematic. They're, you know, counterproductive. We want to be in our rational mind. Um, And I have a problem with that as um, as a notion because actually I believe it's emotions that run our world. Ideally, it is a synergy for me of the mind, the emotions, the body working together holistically that allows us as human beings to evolve. And I think discounting any part of that is problematic because we're not seeing the whole picture. Mm. And we might like to think emotions don't run our world, but they do. And I'm kind of okay about making that as a statement because Mm -hmm. I think they are so fundamentally important. They're information. They tell us what we want, what we're interested in, what our passions are. They draw us to people. They repel us away from situations. They are fundamental. And people who are completely disconnected from their emotional worlds, you know, we can see see politicians all the time in question time. I use that as an example sometimes. We can become a talking head, quite emotional, but not connected Mm. emotionally and so therefore quite reactive and quite honestly operating kind of in an adolescent 
emotional way as opposed to what I'd say is the the mature, the adult emotional way. So there's those parts. And the the thing for, for me about spirit, I wasn't raised with any kind of religion. And, you know, sometimes I'll say to clients, I don't have a religious bone in my body but I'm extremely spiritual. My, my relationship with my spirituality informs everything I do. And so I might not introduce that often when I'm working with people, but it is a guiding light in my life in terms of, you know, principles of compassion, understanding, freedom, evolution, growth. So I've got a quote here from Brene Brown. Spirituality is recognising and celebrating that we are all inextricably connected to each other by a power greater than all of us, and that our connection to that power and to one another is grounded in love and compassion. And so for me, that's a great definition. I think there are lots of gradations is the word that I want to use about how people practice their spirituality. But as a baseline for me about what spirituality is or connection to spirit, that says it all, that we're connected. Human beings are connected. If I do something to hurt you, I'm hurting you, but I'm also hurting me. And I cannot avoid that because we are connected. And so fundamentally, that's a really nice starting place. I don't talk about spirit often in therapy unless a client introduces it, but it informs the way I practice. Mm. Yeah, I would say that's the same for me and that sense of connection. I mean, also not having been brought up with religion, but I, I remember feeling that sense of connection from a very, very young age. It's interesting and hard to sort of pinpoint, but it is also something that informs everything that I do in my life and that connection to others and that being driven to work sort of in service of that care and connection and even extending it to to nature and, yeah, how I feel in those sorts of spaces as well. And without the indoctrination of religion, it's very freeing, you know, to feel that. And I don't feel invested in other people's, the way that they feel about spirit or spirituality. It doesn't matter to me, really, whether it's part of a client's life or not. I'm really happy to connect with it when it is, but it's otherwise, you know, you you go with whatever's the driving force for the people in front of you but but connection is what definitely what brings me into the into the room and into the relationship yeah there are two things that you said that I want to come back to so you talked about the feeling of spirit I I remember as a young person a couple of times being in a church which wasn't very often but I remember one in particular and just feeling an energy in that space that felt good it felt like uh, a sense of peace, that there was an energy in that space that just felt really clear and it felt kind and really remembering that. I I think the other thing is about, you know, when we are in nature and when we're in nature in a happy way that everybody around us is peaceful too, there is a consciousness or a 
an energy in nature that feeds us, that nurtures us, because we're also connected to nature. And, you know, that's certainly something that our Indigenous cultures know much more strongly, I think, that that connection to the earth, to, to you know, to nature and how that supports us and how that nourishes us. Yeah, and the way that compassion and love uh, exists between us and nature as well. That, you know, we, when we show that kindness and care to the world around us, it sort of comes back to us the same way that it does when we do it with humans and other creatures. <laughs> Absolutely. Makes me think about, you know, we're just hitting summer at the moment and, you know, there is a reason that people flock to the beach in summer and it's not just because it's hot, but there is something about being in the ocean that, I'm going to go a little bit woo-woo that, you know, that cleanses our auras, that all that beautiful salt water that's moving, you know, and it's joyous and it's exercise and it feels fantastic. And in those moments, we are connected really strongly. Like I really get people who surf. Yeah. It's not something I've ever done, but there's something about the peace I'm imagining of kind of just being out there, whether you're solo or whether you're a group of other people, just waiting for that, you know, waiting for that wave, but being in that beautiful environment and just allowing that kind of you know exuberance of catching a wave mm. I like watching it yeah <laughs> and boogie boarding's fun not yeah, quite the yeah, same yeah ocean definitely ocean <laughs> and I guess for me coming back to that that notion of the synergy is also that you know as human beings we are more than the sum of all those individual bits and when they are working together in harmony then we can be amazing but if we're disconnected from any one of those, if we're only feeling and not thinking, if we have no real connection to our emotions or to our thought, but we're just acting, I guess people who maybe are not connected to emotions or their thoughts, but are just kind of living in some sense of spirituality, which I would kind of go is you know, potentially the notion of uh, sometimes religion, then we can be out of balance. But if all of those components are working together, then I think that's kind of quintessentially the, you know, the, the ideal state for us as human beings. And it's an aspirational state. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's really important, you know, because I don't know that many of us ever achieve that, but it is um, it's an ideal. Yeah, and I think it's always worth um, leaning in toward our ideals, knowing that it might not be possible. That's okay. We'd, we might as well be aiming high. Well, and that's the nature of being human. Yeah. You know, we, we, we have a go and we maybe stuff up and we go, all right, that didn't work out. Oh, well, what's next? Uh, or we try again. But that we do, and I think that, again, comes back to the notion of spirit, which is about the fact that we have a, a certain understanding of some principles maybe that, that we make choices about living by whatever they are, you know, whether it's, you know, integrity, honesty, uh, doing no deliberate harm to other people, whatever those principles are that we on some levels stick to. Yeah, and identifying what they are and then making choices in those directions is, you know, that can be part of what we talk about in therapy too because it's not, again, it's not an answer but certainly moving through the world following the um, your, your core principles like that is uh, a more peaceful state than when you're doing things that are not in alignment. Completely. 
And I think I think there is something about that too. You know, sometimes if I'm working with somebody who does feel completely lost, I will sometimes ask the question, do you have any spiritual beliefs? I'm not wedded to anybody's beliefs. People can believe whatever they want to believe. I guess the question always for me is, is that belief working for you? If it's not, whatever that's in relation to, maybe change it, get a new one, because we can change our beliefs, of course. But sometimes... If we don't believe in anything beyond ourselves, it can make the world feel extremely precarious. And of course it is on some levels, you know, we're not in control of what happens on a, you know, day-to-day basis, we're not. But sometimes when you have a belief system that says we are connected and things will be okay, then walking through your day-to-day life can reduce sometimes that anxiety It can mean that you don't feel like you have to control everything quite so strongly. It can mean that you do feel a little bit safer to try something and don't feel like that if you stuff it up, it really matters. And so I think, you know, having that or having some kind of understanding of some connection to something greater, even sometimes, you know, it'll be, do you believe the fact that the sun's going to rise tomorrow morning? You know, sometimes even that level of predictability can give somebody a sense of comfort. Yeah, it can be helpful and can support us to to make choices that then feel like we're doing something that's that feels really aligned with some core beliefs or understandings about humans and the world and ourselves. Yeah. So bringing this um, synergy <laughs> of psychology and emotion and spirit into a place like this, a podcast, that was, um, yeah, that was something that, that came to you. And yeah, what, what are we, um, so what are we doing here? (laughs) Good question. Um, Look, I think the reason that it came was earlier in the year, I was having a conversation with a client about something. I cannot remember what it was now, but they just said to me, oh, wish I had this on a podcast. And I just went, "Mm, there's an idea. And I guess it's grown really from there. So what are we doing? I guess I feel like in some ways I'm on the way out as a practitioner. I've been working as a psychologist for over 23 years and I enjoy the work that I do with clients, but I'm ready to start moving out. But I also feel like some of the conversations that occur within therapy are incredibly valuable I guess for me, I thought, well, maybe it would be nice to have some conversations. I mean, nobody's present within a therapeutic session apart from the person or people that one is um, giving therapy to. But I just thought maybe it would be good to have some conversations around certain ideas about therapy, just to open up some conversations, maybe to see things in a different way, um, potentially, or maybe not. You know, maybe some of what we'll say will not be uh, new to anybody, but for some people it might be just a different way of looking at something. And I started to think that that could be an interesting and valuable way to spend some time. Yeah. And, well, personally, I'm a great consumer of podcasts uh, and I so I absolutely feel the um, the value and and so often too, I feel like I will listen to listen to a whole thing and I'll come away with one sentence that just stays with me. And it's not that the rest of it wasn't insightful or useful, but yeah, but often I, f- I feel like I'll just bring one thing and I might not remember the rest of it, even though I enjoyed it. But yeah, I, I like that idea and I certainly, I like 
the the thinking that that we're not people who think there's one answer, that we're not experts telling people what to do. But in the course of the exploration and curiosity that comes with any good conversation, things emerge. And yeah, certainly my experience as a consumer is that I really enjoy that style of podcast and often think I will take something away that stays with me for a long time. And I think, you know, sometimes that's what happens in therapy too. It might just be, you know, a particularly well-aimed question at a particularly relevant time or just something that can rejig or reframe something that we've held on to for a while that just makes us look at something in a different way and that can set a series of kind of shifts, if you like, within the psyche, within the emotional world. And those shifts really can cause huge change. And yeah. so that's kind of what you're looking for really, isn't it, you know? Yeah. Um, I have a, think about uh, so many, you know, like little one-liners that have stayed with me for sometimes decades from a single therapy session and those moments when, um, you know, you're in, in the session as a client and you have one, have a like, whoa response like yeah no no you say it like that it's so obvious and clear but it's not obvious and clear until it's said out loud in the right moment between the right people and then it just becomes like a like a key that opens a door totally and I think you know coming back to what you were saying about the therapeutic relationship I think that's significant I think about my first experience not my first experience but the woman that I was talking about um, earlier but her ability to be able to just really be present with what I was bringing to therapy and be able to acknowledge in a way that my family had never been able to that what I was feeling was valid and sometimes it can be as simple as that having somebody else bear witness to what you have been through or are going through and that the other the the enlightenment therefore you know it's much more likely to get in too because that allows you to open up rather than to feel like you have to be protecting yourself constantly because you're feeling bombarded by other people's stuff which is often you know, how we do feel as kids. Yeah, I think that there is just so much in that, that presence, that therapeutic presence. And I know from, you know, years of working with children that when they feel seen or feel felt, wow, that is absolutely uh, so powerful. It's powerful to be on the other side of it. I had a, a, a child say to me not long ago, like you can see inside my brain (laughs) and it was you know that was a revelation Mm. and it's about not feeling alone or and not feeling uh, a sense of being you know unlike anyone else or weird or different or anything like that it's about that that feeling felt or seen I like like that expression of feeling felt. Me too. Yeah, it's gorgeous. (laughs) And I think it, you know, it takes me back to that uh, where we started that notion of, you know, connection because when you feel felt or feel sane, there is a connection that's happening with you and that other person that allows you to kind of relax into yourself. And really I think that's what therapy is about. It is about how do I know more of me? How do I know more of where I've been, where I am, where I want to go? 
And if we have been in a state of trauma or abuse or or just feeling lost, then feeling felt allows us to relax into that present moment, which is where all the power is, which is where all the change can happen. Absolutely. Beautiful. Okay, so I reckon for our first conversation, we're pretty well done, yeah? Yeah. It's who we are and why we're here. So see you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Soulful Insights. Follow us for more content and feel free to reach out and let us know if there's anything you'd like to hear on a future episode.